Hey, what's happening? It's Ben Bailey-Smith. And Sasha Bates. And we're about to launch into more episodes of STB. So while we do some intense and detailed TV watching, I know it's a hard job, someone's got to do it. We thought it only right and fair to answer some of your emails because we've had such an incredible response. You know, I'm always saying, oh, post bag, it's, it's bulging, we've got all these things, and you, you probably think it's, it's, it's nonsense, but we do. And we started whittling it down. Uh, and here's the proof. So we're going to get into your thoughts on the show, on the characters we're talking about. So coming up, someone asks whether analysing a fictional character really means analysing the writer and what it would be like having a werewolf on the couch. Plus your suggestions of who you'd like to see in therapy. Welcome to the snappily titled Shrink the Inbox. Here's one, Sash, on the WandaVision episode. Mm. Great, great episode. Yeah. You were just phenomenal in that, oh, honestly. As were, as were you. Wow. Yeah, no, I was. You're right. Um, <laughs> this is from H. Stuart Trossel, who says, Hello to Ben, Sasha, and the production team. Just listen to the episode on Wonder. And um, first of all, my condolences to both of you, Ben and Sasha, for your losses. Mine was fresh mm. and yours was... Not so fresh, but feels it at times. Thanks, H. He says, I really appreciate this episode and its discussion of the processing and internalization of grief, as I had a death in my family last year. It was not sudden, and I thought I had adjusted to the concept of their passing in advance. But then there are times, just yesterday, during a film in fact, where I suddenly, viscerally remember they're gone, and it knocks me out. Thank you for diving into models of grieving that address that non-linearity. It's very helpful. And I also really loved the discussion of Wanda's grief made manifest in the world of the show. And it reminded me of another character I love, Dr. Walter Bishop, played by John Noble on Fringe. While not actually creating an alternate universe, Walter nonetheless discovers that one exists. And it's one in which he is able to save the person whom he lost in his own timeline. Obviously, this has ramifications. Sorry this got so long, but I really am enjoying listening. A really sweet email to kick off with. Mm. Thanks, H. Stuart Trussell. And he's right when he talked about how it hit him suddenly watching telly because we are constantly getting new triggers and you don't know what's going to trigger you. It can be a scene on a television show. It can be going into a certain restaurant. It can be hearing a, a song. You kind of never really fully relax after you've had a big loss because mm. you can, can be slightly ambushed at, at any time time but hopefully you get slightly better at managing the ambushes and they don't kind of take the rug out from under you quite so dramatically as in the early days but yeah hang on in there um h stewart's trussell and thanks mm. for letting us know and again you know i'm constantly banging on about great writing but don't you think like great writing in a in a, in a movie or a tv show that's what it will do whether you like it or not, like not and not even just about grief, but like it will make you feel something to the point where you want to call a loved one yeah. or you think, oh, you know what? I should spend more time with so-and-so. Mm, <laughs> yeah. That, Gets you on an emotional exactly, level. Exactly. Mm. Exactly that. Nice one, H. All right. Here's another one on Wonder. This is from Sam Gonzalez. Hi, Ben, Sasha and the STB team. I'm absolutely loving the show. I just listened to Wonder Maximoff episode and thought your sympathetic review of her actions in the show was great. When I watched the show, I was more preoccupied by her grief manifested in the accidental or thoughtless injury to others and honestly missed much sympathy with her situation overall. So I really enjoyed your views. I've got two character suggestions. I grew up as an avid fan of Buffy, the vampire slayer, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on her. A young teenage girl with the responsibility of saving the world 
Additionally, I'd love to hear you get under the skin of Idris Elba's morally ambiguous Luther. Mm, yes. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's an interesting character. He is. I think they're both interesting shouts. Did you ever watch Buffy back in the day? I never watched I, it. I never watched it like from beginning to end. I sort of saw odd episodes here and there. So yeah, I'd quite like to really engage because so many people talk yeah, about it. My sister's it. obsessed with it. My uh, my eldest daughter's watched it all and says it's like superb. And I, I don't know what it was. It must have been my age at the time. Yeah, me just, too. I just think just the yeah. wrong side of whatever whoever it was aimed at. I can't I can't think. Mm. All right. Alex Smead in Balfron says, Hey Ben and Sasha, ever since I heard that the podcast was starting, I've had this question in my mind about the premise of the show. I'd be interested to know Sasha's comment on how far we can go in psychologically analysing a fictional character. The psychological models are based presumably on research and experimentation with real people, but the characters in the shows discussed are deliberately created by a writer. Does this mean that the characters might show several psychological patterns that are never seen in real life because they are, by virtue of the genre, fictional? Do the writers have to be deliberate in adding psychological elements to the characters? And if not, does that mean we're actually unpacking the psychological makeup of the writer rather than the character in Shrink the Box? I'm finding the show compelling and thoroughly enjoying it. Alex, mm. that is, dude, that is such <laughs> a like head spinning question. But I, genuinely, I really get what you're saying because I think I had that question in my mind before we even recorded the first episode. But... Uh, the more I consume content, and I'll let you speak on this in detail, Sash, but I just want to say this. I think there's things that are said and there's things that are unsaid. And you can watch the worst TV show in the world, terribly written, two-dimensional characters, uh, uh, awful performances, shoddily shot, bad sound design. <laughs> but you could still analyse psychologically perhaps where the idea for this is from like have you ever watched something that is not ostensibly uh, about sexism or misogyny but it's misogynist and you can't mm. put your finger on why but you can just there's a nastiness mm. to the show that isn't implied yeah. then you watch another show that's smart enough to have really nasty content around sexism and misogyny, but you can tell the writers know that it's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, they're making yeah. a point. But then the other side of it for me, just because this is all from a layman's point of view, I think it's fun to speculate. And I think that's the essence yeah. of the show, speculating or, or, or around this character and what we can take from it. But I mean, Alex is, is absolutely right. The mm. writer is God here mm. and, and, and they're making the decisions and, and they could be completely misguided in their decisions. We always have to be aware that there is the writer's voice in there and we are being given a view of the world that comes from the writer's own. Mm. I think maybe the reason why so many of the shows we look at that have endured are really good is because they're American, whether it's more common to have a writer's room where you have more than one writer's. Absolutely, um, it is. 
viewpoint, which I suppose helps keep it a bit broader. So it's not quite so one person subconscious, letting their own views filter out. Not that I think that's necessarily a bad thing, because I think it can be also quite therapeutic for a writer to explore. And for many people... Absolutely. And sometimes specificity is is the thing rather than the universal. Absolutely. So I think there there probably is a lot of every writer in, in every character or every scenario. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing as long as we know that whatever we sort of watch, read, hear is always somebody's coming via somebody's lens. We pick the shows we do because there is an inherent truthfulness in there. I was just about to say exactly the same thing. We recognise these people. They are internally consistent. So even if they do contradictory things, Mm -hmm. there is still, you can understand where those contradictions have come about from. So I don't think it, it... it matters that they're fictional. I mean, being fictional enables us to talk about them in a way that we never could ethically about real people. And there might be some anachronisms in there or some incongruities. But I think most shows that are good have an internal consistency. Absolutely. And, And the reason that they work so well is because there's a truth in there that we all sort of Get, we recognize it. Yeah. We recognize a person who's a bit like that, or we think that rings true to me. Yeah. And like you're, you're spot on about American writers' rooms. You know, if you've got six, seven, eight people there, mm-hmm. and one throws out a, a, a cod bit of psychology, oh, mm. this happened when he was a kid, so now he's like that. There's seven people there going, nah, <laughs> I don't buy down. that. Yeah. I don't buy that. Yeah. You could have one fictional character, like, say, I don't know, for instance, Omar Little, who he looked at in, in The Wire who has nothing. He's born into poverty and we speculated from how he is that probably he either had an absent or a neglectful or an abusive parent. And that enables him to learn how to control his emotions and become very calm, cool and collected and 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 plan, not get carried away by temper. Then we saw Shiv Roy born into absolute mm. wealth and privilege, privilege, but similarly neglected and abused and learnt to control herself in the same way that Omar has. So it makes sense. So it doesn't matter what the background is or what their reaction to it is, if it makes sense within the world yeah. that they so live I in. I can sort of accept that Omar is a murderer who I find warmer yeah. presence than, say, Conroy. Yeah. So Alex talks about psychological models, but I don't really understand what he means by that, because I think each one of us is individual. We can look at theories that you can apply to different people, but that doesn't make them, oh, they are this model, I therefore think, they will act in I this think that, way. To be fair to him, I think that's what he means. I, yeah. think, he, I think he means theories that, you know, you, you have things that we've all heard about mm. and then things that you've you've taught us on this mm. show. We've looked at several siblings and we've seen how they've mm. grown up in the same household. They are treated differently by their parents, um, but there is a similarity there. And yet each one has very different coping mechanisms. Mm. I mean, the, again, the, the Roy family siblings one goes off into addiction, one goes off into sort of delusions of becoming president, one becomes sort of a sexual fetishist who can't grow up. So just because the same thing happens to somebody doesn't mean they are going to respond yeah, in the we, same we way. Yeah, we saw in Bloodline a very brilliant example of that too with mm. another set of four siblings, each very, very different yeah. with exactly the same uh, set of parents, yeah. all treated differently, yeah. uh, all suffering because of it. So, guys, I should say, like, our wall of names with the pushpins and bits of string, 
suggestions of of characters to do is stretching down the uh, shrink the box corridor now i mean it's it's nearly out on the street <laughs> but we still want to hear more ideas and uh, here's a few suggestions that have come in uh, just recently mark woodruff says would love to see you dissect jackson lamb mm-hmm. gary oldman's character from slow horses the unhealthy sweary brilliant spy who seemingly never washes and only eats junk food. He's an anti-hero for modern times and part of TV folklore now, surely. <laughs> that sounds like a good shout. Everybody keeps talking to me about Slow Horses. I've actually read all of the Jackson Lamb novels. I think oh, it was about eight novels. or nine. Okay. Yeah, they are fabulous. And so I was predisposed to not like the series. Of course, yeah. But I loved it. Helen in Leeds has said uh, Marie Finchley from National Treasure and Ted from Line of Duty. What's National Treasure? Oh, that was the thing with Robbie oh, Coltrane the as the pedophile, yes. Right, yeah. Chilling as well. That, that did look chilling. Mm. Um, Line of Duty, of course, yeah. And Dave Woolen says, I would love to know what you think about Jack Bauer. A character who on the surface is just all about the shouty, whispery carnage. <laughs> but deep down, he has trouble with his past and family trauma. And in the later series, issues with exes and trust. Dave says, keep up the good work. 24. Wow. Mm. That was one of the first sort of DVD box sets I, f- I yes. remember getting like <laughs> o- obsessed with. Yeah. In a real kind of boy's own way. It was just like, yeah. he's solving the thing. He's running and doing the punching. I knew it didn't have the emotional depth mm. that I really craved, but I could just that watch plot. it and watch I it and watch it and like go out for beers with the boys and yet another guy would have the bloop, 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 you know, the little <laughs> sound for his ringtone. I was like, oh, this really is like, it's that kind of TV. I, d- I can't say I ever really stopped to think about it. Jack's uh, yes. past. I'm not sure we've got enough to go on really mm. to know about his trouble past because he, he just was such a man of action. We have to watch 24 episodes <laughs> yeah. to decide, Sash, and we've got oh, a I'm lot not sure. to get through. But no, thanks, Dave. So listen, after the break, we discuss what it'd be like to have a werewolf as a client and a listener finally takes me to task. It's about time, let's be honest. We're going to be back straight after these messages unless you're a subscriber to The Take, in which case we'll be back straight after a shout out to Catherine Kaywood, DCI John Lufa, and Wendy Bird. This show is supported by BetterHelp. Uh, now, sometimes you're carrying a weight on your shoulders, but you can't find the right way to open up about it and maybe offload a bit to others. If we keep things bottled up, it can really affect us in a bad way. And therapy is a safe and anonymous place to air whatever's been troubling you. And I, I know this personally always feels better just to speak your truth honestly you genuinely feel lighter and the moan can tell you all about feeling light or heavy so if you're thinking of starting therapy why not give better help a try it's entirely online suited to your schedule fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com slash shrink the box today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash shrink the box and we're back uh this one's from esther freeman in reference to our mad men don draper episode she says you mentioned that your sister says the past is a different country i'm afraid this quotation cannot be attributed to her the past is a different country in quotes they do things differently there 
close quote, is the opening line of L.P. Hartley's 1935 novel, The Go-Between, the best opening to a novel ever written, in my honest opinion. It was made into a film in 2015 with Jim Broadbent and Leslie Manville. And should you expand into film, it would be worthy of analysis as it's full of emotionally complex moments, including love, loss, adolescence and class. However, if I was to suggest a character from a TV show, it would have to be Jimmy McGill. Hmm. Better call Saul. Never found him that interesting as Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad. I agree, actually. They've dug way more Mm. into him. Um, But seeing his metamorphosis from Jimmy to Saul in the spinoff was fascinating. Shrink the Box has become one of the shows I really look forward to popping up into my feed each week. So keep up the good work. Thanks, Esther. And in defense of my sister, it's probably the way I must have said it on the pod. It's actually from an essay that she wrote in recognition of exactly this. <laughs> so, yeah, you're spot on, Esther, and so is my sister. And as usual, I am I am wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is interesting what she says about Saul because I re-watched Breaking Bad for our Walter White mm. episode and I couldn't wait for the Saul Goodman uh, moments. And I was like, oh, he's more of a sort of comic mm. aside in yeah, this, really. Yeah, you know, he doesn't get uh, developed. He's like uh, Huggy Bear or yes. something like that. Do you know what I mean? Starsky <laughs> yeah. and Hutch. I also remember thinking when they were going to do a spinoff, I was like, really? Mm, yeah. With that guy? Yeah. But uh, he absolutely comes into his own. Oh, my and God. Bob Odenkirk just plays him so well. Beautifully. He is phenomenal. And, you know, Bob in the States is primarily known as a com- comedian and uh, yeah yeah and I an aficionado in comedy and he was uh part of this sort of the the, the figurehead and, and and writer on this show mr show which never came over here but you know really in that tradition of like knockabout or sometimes surrealist comedy oh. um he's real comedy royalty over there so he hadn't really wow. done like a massive amount of drama oh my god i would never have known yeah, that yeah. he was more associated brilliant mainstream-wise, he probably would have been more closely associated with things like The Simpsons. Wow. You know, he's a big writer on there and a lot of voice stuff. Um, but yeah, he's a proper comedian. So I think even more kudos to him and to uh, Vince Gilligan and, and the, the the writers on the show because I think a lot of us expected it to be this explosive, mm. you know, sequel slash prequel, you know, whatever, reboot. And actually it's so patient and joyfully cautious in its storytelling. It slowly uncovers the layers. And I'm going to confess something, which I'm sure will get a lot of people across. I prefer it to Breaking Bad. So do I. Oh, do you? Okay, good. But there are even elements to Breaking Bad where I think Vince wasn't sure where the story was going. And (laughs) I think he's actually publicly, you know, spoken about that and he had to find it. And and with Better Call Saul, it just feels like, I know what Mm. the fuck I'm doing now. Yeah. That The confidence to to give you these these time leaps and yeah. still have mystery and, and intrigue, the sense of a life lived as well mm, and, and mistakes made and regrets. Yeah. It's beautifully observed in, uh, mm. in Better Call Saul. And I agree with you, Sasha. I think it's the better show. And I don't think that's an insult, really, because they're both great shows. They are. So in, Vince in really ways. doesn't have to worry. The man's a genius. He is. So, you know, we've had some people sending long lists of characters, like just like 20... 30, just like just names that they'd like to see in the therapist chair. And that is a lot of TV for us to watch, but we really do appreciate you taking the time. So here's a few more before we mosey off into the sunset. Chloe Selby says, Hello team, I've had a run of ideas for potential subjects for Sasha to analyse that feel a bit obvious. But then I had a thought about a character who really impacted me as a young person, might feel a bit left field. Oh, this is what we like, Chloe, mm. this is what we like. George from Being Human. 
BBC Three. I'd forgotten about Being Human. I haven't seen it. That's uh, great with Russell Tovey. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Look, she references Russell Tovey here. Yeah. Uh, she said, George is a werewolf and struggles with who he becomes by the light of the moon. But with his two friends, who are a vampire and ghosts, they wrestle with what it means to really pursue being a person. Ooh. It's been such a long time since I watched it. Same, Chloe, same. Um, but I remember that Russell Tovey is something of a genius in the role. Agree. And I'd love to hear Ben and Sasha unpick what is going on for him, especially as he has a complicated relationship with his alter ego when he falls for Nina. Uh, who I think is the ghost. Uh, it's a good one, I think. Um, really enjoy him shrink the box. So thanks for all your work. Mm. Nice one, Chloe. What a, that is a great left field suggestion. And I'm with you, Chloe. I remember being human and I've mentioned it to friends and they don't know what the hell I'm talking about. They give me the same face that they give me when I start waxing lyrical about 15 stories high. It's just blank. What are you talking about? I've BBC, never heard of 15 you know, stories high. <laughs> brilliant BBC 2 or, you know, alternative BBC channel comedies and dramas that just never got <laughs> the right push. IMO. My friend Sharon Horgan's show, Pulling. Do you remember that? Yeah. Again, just gets Didn't, shunted yeah. around. Still, oh, the snooker's on. It'll be on at 11. Mm. You know, next week it's on at nine o'clock. People just don't know how to follow these shows and then they disappear. Yeah, and, they don't get, and that they was don't a great remade. one. I do remember that one. Great it show. was brilliant. 15 Stories High was Sean Locke, much missed Sean yeah. Locke's uh, comedy that he wrote and starred in that I think is worthy of a, of a okay. shrink the box, actually. It's him and Benedict Wong sharing, oh, right. <laughs> sharing a flat. And Sean is this miserly lifeguard at a swimming pool, basically. Right. Um, but there's a lot going on in it. Okay. Sometimes slightly surreal. It's set in a block of flats in South London, big, tall high rise. So you get glimpses of these other working class lives oh. quite a bit. And it's this one of the last sort of working class comedies that I think I really really loved. Mm. You're talking about that. I just had an image of the tower block in, in East London. It made me think of Chewing Gum, which of course oh, was Michaela yeah. Cole's yeah, first yeah. series before she did The Incredible I May Destroy You, which yeah. we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. Chewing Gum might be worth us that having another look sure. at. She's had a bit of a Vince Gilligan trajectory, hasn't she, as yes. well? Because Chewing Gum was great, but, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, it was a hell of a leap from Chewing Gum. I May to, Destroy You. Yeah. I May Destroy You was so powerful and so disturbing that when I listen back to our I May Destroy You episode, the episode disturbed me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, jeez Louise. Just like, remembering. The tentacles of this show. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, you know, I just thought, it, it being human, if you did have a werewolf as a client, mm. you'd never you'd never know. Unless it was like a doorknob <laughs> moment where he goes, by the way, yes. arr, yeah. you know, just as he's leaving and the, the full moon yeah, it'd have to be shines very, through your uh, Yeah, I'd have to be window. very careful when I scheduled their <laughs> session for. But even if I knew, I wouldn't be able to tell you, Ben, because obviously confidentiality, course, confidentiality. is sacrosanct. Sasha, so, um, what are those marks on your arm? Yeah. I'm afraid you can't get into yeah, it. Yeah, no, exactly. Guys, I'm really worried about Sash. Um, okay, we have one here. From someone who's chosen to be anonymous uh, for good reason. Uh, they say, hello there. I'm really enjoying your pod. Um, if you do choose to mention me, please don't say my name as I'm a practicing psychotherapist. Karen, we will not mention it. <laughs> um, in addition to the relationships you covered and very well too, I thought it important to include Don's relationship with Anna Draper, Mad Men, because that seemed to be the only time he had a relationship with a woman where he could be himself, mm. i.e. Dick. It was a true friendship and not an affair of any sort. She's easy to miss. She was the widow of the real Don, an unglamorous but authentic woman. She didn't feature much. Yeah. I'll be honest, 
thank you very much, Anonymous. I completely forgot about that. Mm. Well, we only did series one. Oh, that's why. Okay. Um, so and I think she up popped in up in season two. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm using series and season interchangeably because yeah, I think uh, I do the, the same now. Because I'm bilingual in English and American. <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, it was his only authentic relationship, I think, from memory. But I haven't, I didn't re watch season two and I had forgotten about her. But mm. yeah, if we if we get a chance to get on to season two, I'd love to talk more about her. Maybe it was a guilt thing on his part. Maybe we'll, we'll mention it if we ever do Peggy. Quite like to do Peggy. Oh, one yes, day. Peggy. She was a great the, character. Um, yeah, the only woman in Sterling Cooper who was yeah. allowed to actually move on from being a receptionist and secretary. She yeah, got to actually absolutely. be a ad woman. Ad woman. <laughs> okay, we've got one more for now. It's Paul from Nottingham who just says, How about Joshua Lyman from the West Wing? Josh. Mm. I mean, it's really interesting to think back to West Wing, having just so recently watched Succession, because West Wing shows these people, they are incredibly smart and they've really earned their place in, in, in the White House and in, in, into power in a way that the, um, the Roy kids were just born into a sort of powerful family and don't really have the skills or the talent or haven't, haven't had to work at it. And also, I think uh, another time that might come might be succession related. I don't know. I don't think we're done with succession. Mm, no. That's all I can say <laughs> at this point. Sash, I always worry when I get excited about all these characters because I just think <laughs> you've got your actual real life clients yeah, I and then I just keep throwing shit loads of <laughs> new characters on, on you like every week like, how, how are you feeling? Oh, well, no, I love it. I love the excuse to go back and watch these great shows yeah. and some seeing them for the first time, thanks to your brilliant suggestions and to our, our listeners' brilliant yeah. suggestions. But um, yes, of course, my real clients absolutely yes. come first and first. always will. Werewolves or otherwise? Um, well, werewolves or, or otherwise, I will never tell. But um, but I love the fictional ones because I can talk about the fictional ones. And have fun. You know? <laughs> and have fun. You can and even laugh at them. I can even laugh at them in a way that I would never do with my real clients. Yeah, but um, they, I think when they're fictional, they're fair game, really. We can be a bit more, play a bit more free and loose with our, our attitudes and opinions. Yeah. Don't have to be quite so invested in the uh, unconditional positive regard, which is one of the main tenets of humanistic right. psychotherapy, which is what, you know, as a therapist, I bring to all my clients, unconditional positive regard. Whatever they tell me, whatever they do, whatever they say, I keep in mind that um, that it's all valid. Mm. And I don't have to do that with the fictional ones. Like, I'm free. I'm <laughs> free to shit, get mate. cross. <laughs> well, I give a shit, but I'm free to be cross or to dislike yeah, them, no, or I don't have yeah. to be quite so all understanding. opinion, exactly. So it is different. It is different. It is different. So despite our, our, our increasingly bulging post bag, you know, we made our bed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna enjoy lying in it absolutely so thanks sash and thanks to our production team uh production management is lily hambly the assistant producer is bashak Erton. social media is jonathan imieri the studio engineer is jay beale as is the mix engineer the senior producer is selena ream and the executive producer is simon paul thanks guys see you next week yeah see you then bye